You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from the book of Matthew. We're calling Firm Foundation. With this week's message, here's shepherding pastor Joe Cook. I wonder if you've ever been afraid of being excluded, being left out. There's a phrase that's been going around for a while now, FOMO, fear of missing out. Maybe you struggle with that. You know, it's something that I've struggled with in my life. I remember especially being uh, intense when I was a kid. Elementary school, I'd look around and I'd see kids that were popular and I began to recognize I wasn't one of them. (laughs) I really wanted to be though, okay? And then that kind of continued into junior high and high school and those are trying years anyway. But I can remember trying to observe, you know, who were the cool kids and who was kind of the in crowd, and man, I really wanted to be part of that. And there was one guy in particular who was older, and he was really cool, really popular. And I started watching him, how he dressed, how he talked, how he laughed. I tried to imitate his, his jokes, his language, even the way he laughed, because if I could do that, whew, I'd get in, Right? This desire to be in, on the inside, to be part of something, it runs deep and it can poison us if we're not careful. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay entitled The Inner Ring. Now, in America, we might call it the inner circle, but in his essay, The Inner Ring, he talks about the desire and this danger that we encounter, that we live with of wanting to be on the inside. He writes this, he says, of all the passions... The passion for the inner ring is the most skillful in making, and notice how he says this, a man who is not very bad, a very bad man, do very bad things. I wasn't a bad kid, but I sold out. I changed who I was to be accepted. Maybe you've been in that place before in your life. I wish I could tell you that it went away when I graduated from high school. But some of those tendencies continued into adult life. There's just this desire to be on the inside you know, to be, with the, to be with the right kind of people. It's scary, isn't it? The things that we would give up to do that. You know what one of the essential elements of the inner circle is or the inner ring? There's some people that don't get in. They're excluded. The outsiders, right? We, we have to have, in order to have an inside ring, we have to have a, the outsiders, those people that can't make it. And so there's that dynamic too. And that brings up something that's not real positive in who we are either. Lewis says this. He says, you yourself, once you're in, you want to make it hard for the next entrant. Just as those who are already in made it hard for you. Like, well, it wasn't easy for me to get in. Why should it be, you know, easy for these scrubby little people to get in, right? This desire to be on the inside, it's not healthy. 2,000 years ago. Jesus came to earth, the eternal Son of God, one with the Father, one with the Spirit, incarnate, came in the flesh, and he came to a world that had a lot of inner rings, not unlike our world. We'll talk about that in a moment. But one of the great big rings, one of the biggest inner rings that was, a, that was uh, in existence in his time was just being Jewish. Okay, If you're Jewish, hey, that's a big deal in their world, in Israel. And if you're in that ring, you're inside, but then there's some outsiders, the Gentiles, everybody else, and then the Samaritans. 
Samaritans. Couldn't stand the Samaritans. Samaritans were hated because they were part Jew, but they were also part something else. They were a mixed breed. There were some racial tensions with that. And those people, the people that were in this ring, they did not like the people on the outside of that ring, especially the Samaritans. And of course, that wasn't the only ring, was it? You have this big ring that's on the outside, and it's kind of like concentric circles that get smaller and smaller. You've got the Jews, and then you've got the faithful Jews, because some of them were, well, you know, backslidden was what we used to call them when I was growing up. Not all the Jews were faithful. But you were a Jew, that was something. But if you weren't faithful, then there's another ring, because there were some that were tax collectors, and there were some that were sinners of different form or fashion. And then you had Pharisees and Sadducees and priests and high priests, and, and you get the idea. We have it in our world today also. We have different rings in our society. You know, the people on the inside, the people in the know, the right kind of people, the right society, and sometimes even in the church. Unfortunately, I wish I could say it's not true, but sometimes religion and I'm not even fond of that word, but sometimes religion can be the biggest inner ring that there is. Sometimes religious people are really good at excluding others. It shouldn't be so. It shouldn't be so now, and it wasn't supposed to be so then. And into that world, Jesus walked. The people there, they had one thing right. They were special. And that's not wrong. They were called for a special purpose. But their inner ring, this ring, this circle of a specialness that they had was never meant to be exclusive. Look at the calling of Abram. It's in Genesis 12 too. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And notice, so that you will be a blessing. From the very beginning, the call to be Jewish was a call to be a beacon of light to the world outside, to be so different, to be so unique that other people would go, what's up with those people? I want to be a part of that. I want to be inside of that. And then the goal was for the doors to be open so that they could come in. Jesus, when he cleansed the temple, he said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. It was never meant to be exclusive. But the Jews in the time of Christ, they had taken that one little nugget of being special and they had made it about being exclusive. And Jesus has something to say to them and he has something to say to us this morning. So if you'll join me back in chapter 5 of Matthew, we're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. In this, in this uh, particular section that we're in, Jesus has started each time by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, this will be the last one of, those, of that series. And it's a little bit different. It's an interesting one. Join me in chapter 5, verse 43. And let's read our whole section today, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pretend that you've never heard this before, and imagine you were there on the hillside, and you heard this for the first time, and here's the test question I'm going to ask you. What words are going to jump out at you as you listen to this for the first time? So let's begin reading. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Any words jump out at you? How about that love your enemy stuff? Mm, I don't like that. What about that be perfect stuff? Whew, that's, I can't connect with that either. When they're listening to this, I don't know if they took notes or if they just remembered. I can imagine them walking away going, hey, wait, did he say, did he say love your enemies? Is that what he said? I imagine this was very shocking. In fact, this may be one of the most shocking things he's said so far, and he's been saying some things that are tough already. Love your enemies. That's a pretty remarkable and difficult thing to say. You know, what we've done in this part of this series is every time we read, you have heard it said, we've gone and found the place where they heard it said. Notice in verse 43, what is it they've heard? You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, well, let's go into the Old Testament and let's see where they would have heard that before. In Leviticus 19, we read this in verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, period. What's missing? There's no hate your enemy, is there? Hmm. Maybe that came from another part of Scripture. Well, I invite you to go on a hunt this week and see if you can find where God commands you to hate your enemy. I'm going to give you a little shortcut, though. It's not there. I looked. Okay? It's nowhere, in the, it's nowhere in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's nowhere in the New Testament. God never commands anyone to hate their enemy. But as these people listen, and Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They're like, yeah, we've heard that, sure. That... And here's the thing. You and I hear it. It makes sense. Of course you're, of course you're supposed to hate your, your enemy. That, that's why they're called an enemy, right? <laughs> That makes sense to me. You know what question they did have in their culture and we have in ours? They had the question, right? Uh, okay, yeah, we've heard that and that last part's good, but who's my neighbor? You ever heard that mentioned in the New Testament before? Let's go and let's look where someone actually asked Jesus that. I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and we're going to see where a person approaches Jesus, and he asks him that very question. This story, this parable, is going to play an important background for us as we move forward through Jesus' teaching. You'll be very familiar with the parable. We're going to talk about the Good Samaritan. Even, even folks in the world who aren't very familiar with the Scripture have heard of Good Samaritans, right? Well, let's see where that came about and what Jesus was teaching. Chapter 10, look at verse 25 with me. Let's start there. And see how the discussion began. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, this lawyer was a specialist in the law, in the law of the Jews, in the Torah. So he knew the Scripture. And so he responds, He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is listening to this. If you know the scripture, you know there's another place where Jesus said, these are the two greatest commandments in the scripture. These summarize all of the, the teachings of the law and the prophets. And the lawyer gets it right. He and Jesus are in the same place. And Jesus brags on him here. Look, 
Verse 29, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Hey, they're in a good place. He's done good, right? And then, and then he asked the question, an insidious question that betrays something in his heart. Look, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Do you hear the inner ringness of that, that inner circle? Okay, Jesus, now I, I know we're not going to go crazy here. I need to know exactly who are my neighbors. Is it this great big circle, the one that's all Jews, or is it one of these smaller circles? Well, Jesus could have just given him a straight answer, couldn't he? He said, blah, 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 here it is. That's what you need to do. But Jesus, Jesus tells him a story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And you're familiar with it. It begins with a man who's leaving Jerusalem. So we assume that he's a Jew. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to summarize some of it for you. This man leaves Jerusalem as he's going down to Jericho. He's attacked by robbers, thieves. They beat him and strip him naked, and they leave him on the side of the road, naked, and assumingly he's dead. Okay? And then Jesus brings some other characters in. And remember the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, along comes a priest. The lawyer's ears perk up. Ah, oh, I wonder if the priest is going to take care of him. And, and that's going to be the, any Jew that we see in trouble. We're to be neighbor to him. He's our neighbor. And the priest sees him, and he walks beside. He walks on the other side to avoid him. So now the lawyer's like, oh, okay. Jesus is going to tell me exactly who my neighbor is so that I don't have to worry about certain categories of people. Then a Levite walks by, and he does the same thing. He walks by. So the lawyer's at this point going, I wonder, I wonder who the neighbor is going to be. And then Jesus says something that would have been very shocking in verse 33. But a Samaritan, oh, there's those people. Jesus to even say that word in this crowd. He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, when he saw him, he had compassion. And, of course, the Samaritan takes the man in, puts him on his own donkey, heals, t- tends to his wounds, takes him to a a hotel puts him in there and pays for his care. And then in verse 36, Jesus says this to the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The lawyer replies, he said, well, the one, not wanting to say Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. Jesus just made a great bigger circle. (laughs) He just said, basically, you've asked the wrong question. It's not who's your neighbor, it's who can you be a neighbor to. And you can be a neighbor to anybody, even, even these people that you hate, the Samaritans. Your enemy is your neighbor. Do you see how the story plays that out? Do you see how Jesus just drew a great big circle? Come back with me now to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. This is where Jesus says, But I say to you, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The parable as a backdrop to this gives it a lot more richness to it. Now someone that was on the outside of your ring, that's the person that you're to be a neighbor to. That's the person you're to see as your neighbor. And then here in Matthew 5, he just says it plainly, love your enemies. Love your enemies. That's, 
love the person in the position of an enemy? Do you notice Jesus doesn't question that you'll have enemies? I bet you have some enemies. I bet there's some people that you don't like and they don't like you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning too. And I want you to start thinking, who's your enemy? And maybe if enemy is too strong of a word, maybe just people that are unlovable. You just don't like them. You really, you really don't like them. But you're a Christian, so you don't want to hate them. But you really don't like them. Okay? Start thinking along those lines. Jesus says, love your enemies. It's not a new concept. Do you know how we went back to the Old Testament to see if there was any hate your enemy thing? Well, actually, there's the opposite of it. Look in the Proverbs 25. If your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty... Give him some water to drink. If you run across your enemy and he's in a bad shape, help him out. That's in the Old Testament. Look what it says in Exodus 23. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you should bring it back to him. If you see his donkey, one who hates you, lying under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Now, we don't have a lot of oxes and donkeys running around, okay? But if you see a person's property being damaged or you see it lost and you know who it belongs to, even if they're your enemy, what, the, what, the, what Moses is teaching there is take care of them. Go and see to their needs. Make sure that their property is safe. This demonstrates the love and the goodness of God towards all, even enemies. It's God's method. It's his means of encountering a world. Last week, if you were here, we talked about turning the other cheek. And one of the scriptures that was key to that is in Romans 12, 21. I encourage you to highlight this verse. It says, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. You can adopt that as a grid. If you ever encounter someone that's being unkind to you, if you encounter someone that's your enemy, that's the grid to filter it through. We are to confront evil with good. Now, you may be thinking about this and thinking, but Joe, I mean, there's some people that aren't safe. Last week, we talked about that. We talked about the most loving thing you can do towards an abuser is expose them. You're an image bearer. This is not a call to continually be a victim. If you're in, if you're in trouble, if you're being mistreated by someone, the loving thing to do is expose them. This is talking about the attitude of the heart. This is talking about hating someone and considering them your enemy. And what we see is God's method, his method is you confront evil with good. What we, le- what we learn in Scripture is God loves people. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So loved the world. Now that doesn't mean he loves what the world does. It doesn't mean that he loves the evil that's in the world, but he loves the people the image bearers, even the ones you and I don't like. Look at what we read in 1 Timothy. This is good, and it pleases, is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people, all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All people, even the people you don't like and the people I don't like, the enemies. These are the people that Jesus came to die for. These are the people that we're called to love. And notice in the last part of verse 44 what we're supposed to do. Do you see that? But I say to you, love your enemies, and then there's something to do. We like to do things. Look at what it says to do. 
Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemy. Pray for them. I, I don't even like them. How am I supposed to pray for them? Jesus modeled it on the cross. As he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. The people that pulled out his beard, the people that had beat him, the people that were going to kill him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The martyr Stephen in Acts 7, he prays for the people that are torturing him and, and throwing stones at him. He says, do not hold this against them. Forgiving them. He, he wants them to be forgiven. The Apostle Paul does the same thing when he talks about his enemies. He says, may it not be held against them. Praying for your enemies. I don't like it. You probably don't either. When I was in high school, late junior high, high school, a guy moved in. He was a tough guy, uh, kind of a bully. Nobody liked him, but we were kind of scared of him. He was new to town. We didn't have a lot of new people in town. <laughs> and so this guy came in, he acted real tough, and he kind of had us all intimidated. And the more he, longer he was there, the less I liked him. And pretty soon I recognized that there was something growing in my heart, and what was growing in my heart was hatred. I hated him. And I'd been in church long enough to know that you're not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to hate people. And I, okay, well, I can't help it. It's just there. But it was eating at me. And so I did what I always did. I talked to my mother. I said, Mom, I, I don't know what to do. I, I have to admit, I hate this guy. And my mom gave me this piece of advice. She said, pray for him. I went, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's crazy talk. I thought she was going to have some other kind of answer. She gave me the same answer Jesus gave. She said, pray for him. I, I don't like this feeling. So that night when I went to bed, I went, dear God bless, so-and-so. Amen. Great prayer, right? You could tell I was going to be a preacher, right? <laughs> so each night I kept praying for this guy. And days went by, and it turned into weeks, but I kept doing it because I did not like the way I felt. And I'll never forget the day. We're in, a, we're in a vehicle, we're driving down a road, and I look and I see his house, and something clicks in my head. I recognize who his father was, his brother was, and where he lived, and I thought, I would not want that to be my father, I would not want that to be my home. And it's, like, it's just like a switch flipped. I didn't hate him anymore. I saw him as a human being. I saw him as an image bearer, though I wouldn't have used that language at the time. But I saw him as just another kid. And here was, the, here was the extra bonus to that. Not only did I not hate him anymore, I wasn't scared of him anymore. And suddenly he just wasn't as big and scary, and he just wasn't that big of a deal in my life anymore. Now, we didn't become buddies, Okay. There's no, there's no amazing Hallmark story to this where I tell you how then he was the best man in my wedding or anything like that. No, I don't like the guy now, okay? <laughs> um, and it's okay. But I don't hate him. And I would love for him to come to faith in Christ, and I would love for him to be in heaven with me because I don't hate him anymore. So there's, there's a difference there, and that's what Jesus is calling us into. He says, pray for them. We have this supernatural power available to us. Look at what he says in verse 45 with me. He says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Let's just stop with that. To be the son of someone, you, know, you might remember Jesus called uh, James and John sons of thunder. 
it's sort of an idiomatic way of saying this is what you're like. To be like someone is to be the son of them or even of a thing like thunder. Jesus is saying be the, you're, when you do this, you're sons of the Father. You're like him. That, that's amazing. That's our calling. We've been called to imitate our Father in heaven. Peter explains our calling this way. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain blessing. This kind of sounds like what God called Abraham to, doesn't it? We've been called to be a part of something, and it's a different kind of something. It's a thing where we, we bless rather than curse, and we're to be like God. It's how he is. Look at 45b, the second part of that verse. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Did you all like the rain this past week? It was very needed, wasn't it? I got some, some bad news for you. It fell on the people you don't like, too. It watered their yards also. Yeah, I know you don't like that. Everybody got rain. And you look around the world, and what you see is God extends grace and mercy to some of the worst people in the world, whoever you would categorize that as. The rain falls on their land, their crops grow, oxygen comes into their lungs. God is very gracious and good to the whole world in some very significant ways. When Apostle Paul and Barnabas were preaching to a group of pagans, they were so impressed with the miracle that they wanted to they wanted to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas said, we're not God. We're, we're, we're men like you. But in their sermon, Paul said something like this that I think is very important. He said, in past generations, remember he's talking to people that don't, they're not Jewish. They don't know who this God is they're talking about. He allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. And look, for he did good. By giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God is good to people that aren't very good people. People that you don't like. People that don't do good things. Look at verse 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do that? You know, among criminals, there's a... There's a certain bond. It's quid pro, quo, quid pro quo. You do this for me, then I'll do this for you. You got my back, I'll have your back. We'll, we'll take care of each other. We're, you know, it's a gang mentality. It's an it's a inner ring mentality. It's the us and them mentality. We're going to take care of us. And, and Jesus says, that's normal. That's the natural thing. But he's calling us and calling them to something that's supernatural. Look at verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect. There's that word. Ooh. Perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, to be like him. Now, this word perfect, other places is translated mature. This is to, he's calling us to be mature. And specifically in this passage, mature in the way that we love. Mature love is measured by how, by how God does things. Have you ever compared the God of Scripture to the other so-called gods in other religions? The thing, the most distinguishing characteristic is grace, which is love measured out to those who don't deserve it. It's about loving enemies, 
That's how God does things. And that is how he's painted a path for us to be like him. I found this in one of the commentaries, and I've been intrigued by it ever since. He took us back to Genesis where Adam and Eve were tempted. And he talked about how they were tempted. When when the serpent tempted Eve, what did he tempt them with? Knowledge. If you eat this fruit, you have the knowledge of good and evil. We like knowledge, don't we? We like to know things. I love to know things. I love to be in the know. And we think knowledge is power, and it is. And Satan said, that's the way to be like God. But Jesus is painting a different path, isn't he? How are we going to be like God? It's not through knowledge. It's in loving the way he loves and loving people that aren't very lovable. That's what makes love distinct. That's the method. That's the means that he's called to. And, you know, anybody could stand up and say, Hey, love your neighbor. I'm saying it today, right? Love your neighbor. Jesus said it. But Jesus showed us how to do it. I'm going to ask you to turn one other place. Turn to Romans 5. I want you to see a couple of things there that are important. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly. Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the categories that he's given us? We were ungodly. We were weak. We were unrighteous. And then look at verse 10. For if while we were, and there's our word, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We turn back to Matthew now. Jesus models what it is to love enemies, and he calls us to that. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, I would invite you to do so. There is a ring. There is a way to be a part of something bigger the family of God. But Christ's ring, his inner ring, is very different. It's not exclusive. The doors are open. He's inviting you in. And I would invite you to place your faith, simple childlike faith, in Christ because he has paid the price for your sins. Even if you're sitting here and you go, Joe, I've been, you just don't know what my life has been like. I've been been a fool. I've been evil. I've been wicked. I've done all the things in the Bible that says you're you're not supposed to do. Yes, he's for you. You may think you're the worst sinner in the world. Christ died for you. He's the one who teaches enemy love, and he's the one who models enemy love. It's amazing. It's the most remarkable thing on the face of the earth, the love of God. I want us to ask a different question this morning. The question I want us to ask is, who is my enemy? All right, I'm about to meddle in your lives a little bit, okay? if I haven't been already. We're going to pray in just a second. Not for the end of the service. I confuse some people. Well, we got a little ways to go, okay? This is a midterm prayer, all right? We're going we're to pray, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what we pray about. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to let the Spirit of God reveal to us who our enemy is, okay? And let me give you some categories of who they might be. Maybe you think your enemy is 
a political party or political entity or politician, maybe on the right, maybe on the left, maybe in the middle, maybe, maybe it's a racial group. Maybe if you're honest, you would say, there's a certain race of people I just really don't like. Maybe it's a group of people that are immoral. They do offensive things, things that are wrong in Scripture and wrong in you, and you just, they just kind of, mm, that group of people involved in that type of immorality, I can't stand them. Maybe, maybe that's where you are. Maybe it's somebody who's wronged you personally. Maybe it's someone who has hurt you. Maybe it's the media. Maybe, heaven forbid, maybe it's just somebody that disagrees with you, which happens a lot in our day and age. Who is going to be brought to your mind? I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable for a minute. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to ask His Spirit to reveal to us, reveal to me, who is the enemy in my life. And if you're, if you're too spiritual to use the word enemy or hate, maybe it's just somebody you think is unlovable, untouchable. Let's let the Spirit of God bring that to our mind. Remember, we're not done, but we are going to pray. Okay, let's pray. Father, it's tough to be vulnerable. And the reality is there's some people in this world that we struggle with. So at this moment, at this time, I invite you into my life, and I pray that those here will invite you to reveal to them who is it that they are seeing as their enemy? Who is it that I'm seeing as my enemy? Reveal that person or people group to our hearts and minds now. Father, thank you that you're here, that you're interacting with us, and that you're good. Christ's name. So who came to your mind? You have a name? You have a title? Have a label? I'm going to ask you a tough question. Here's the question I want us to interact with. Do we spend more time praying for that enemy that you just thought of or complaining about them? Ouch. All right. I don't want to shock you. I know I'm a pastor, but sometimes I complain about people. Sometimes people are just annoying, aren't they? And there's some people that I don't like. And sometimes I find myself complaining about them. But what Jesus has said, whether I consider them enemies or not enemies, just people that I struggle with, he says to pray for them. Not pray about them. Not pray that uh, coals of fire will fall on their head but to pray for them. I don't know who you had in mind. I don't know if it's, some, if it's a public figure or somebody in your neighborhood or in your family. But the question is, do you spend more time praying for them or complaining about them? It's a, it's a very convicting question. I saw one of the things I read this past week or last couple of weeks, a guy talked about watching on TV a demonstration. It was about a cultural issue that's a very hot topic. And one side was predominantly Christian. It would be a side that a lot of Christians would identify with. And the other side was a side that would be predominantly more of a secular type of view. And he turned the volume down and he said, if you couldn't read the signs and if you just watched the faces and the actions and the mannerisms of the people, you couldn't tell the difference between them. One side looked just as angry 
and violent as the other side. There really wasn't a lot of difference. Now, not every demonstration is that way. But in this particular case, he said there was no difference. And that's exactly contrary to what we are called to do. Our method and our means are, we're called to do things differently. We're called to, even if we counter someone, even if we confront someone, we're to do it in love. We're to do it with grace. We're not called to yell louder. We're called to be different. We're called to be unique. So how do we do with this? What are some of our takeaways from this? Well, verse 44 is the first assignment. Pray for them. I'm going to challenge you this week, whoever God brought to your mind, actually spend time praying for them. In fact, I'm going to challenge you, don't complain about them until you've spent some time praying for them, praying for them, for their well-being, for their salvation, that they come to faith in Christ. Ask for blessings on their family. Ask for things to go well for them. Actually pray for the people that came to your mind as you did that. Look for an opportunity to bless them. Look out for their property. If you drive by and maybe there's a, somebody in your, in your neighborhood that you consider an enemy and you see that the lights have gone out and it's nighttime and they've left their car door open, let them know. Help them out. If you see them in need, meet that need. You see, all human life is made in the image of God, even your enemy's life. Christ died for all humanity, even the people we don't like. And there's a, there's a lot of contention in our world today. There's a lot of inner rings in our world today. There's a lot of inner rings in the Christian community today. And we're called to be a part of something different. You know, the desire, the desire to be a part of something is actually from God. We're meant to live in community. When Jesus preached in Nazareth, he kind of inaugurated his, his ministry. One of the things he said, I'm here to proclaim the year of the, the Lord's liberty, the year of the Lord's jubilee. They would have understood that word, but it was so much bigger than what they would have imagined because that year has turned into a couple of thousand years. It's a season. We're in what we would call the dispensation of grace. And this ring of God's, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Human rings get smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually you're alone. But God's rings are, it's just growing bigger and bigger. He wants more people in the family. And you and I, we have the blessing of being able to stand at the edge of this community and say, come in. You say, and they say, well, I'm too dirty to be. No, 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 come in. This is for you. Jesus is for you. What a privilege we have to be ambassadors of love. But now it's a supernatural way of doing things. I can't tell you how I stopped hating that guy. I just know I did what my mama said, and I did what Jesus said, and something started happening in my heart. It's supernatural. I couldn't have done that on my own. We like to hate sometimes. We like the us and them. It makes us feel safe. But we're called to have our arms wide. So I challenge you with that this week. Jesus challenges us with that this week. Let's not be a part of these inner rings that exclude people and kick people out and us and them mentality. We have the greatest news in the world. Let everyone come in who would place their faith in Christ. We would invite you to be a part of that. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast 
published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.